My family's very, very fatalistic. My dad is always like, I'm never going to make it past 30. I'm like, you're like 55 years old. I think you're going to do just fine. <laughs> there it is. There's the quote for the open right, right. there. <laughs> Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Team Morale Podcast, where we do our three favorite things, talk a little bit of booze, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of basketball. Ian, the tall guy, back with you with another episode. We took a break last week. Just took a short hiatus. We missed a week, Mitch. Mental health week is what that was. <laughs> we hadn't missed a week in the lots of weeks that we've done this. This is episode 41, so not 41 weeks because at the beginning we were doing two a week, but mm-hmm. a lot of weeks. We hadn't missed one. Well, we missed one last week. Records are meant to be broken. Yes, they are. And uh, we went out to uh, a lake near Austin with a whole bunch of our college friends. And uh, we decided we had zero service there. Like I was totally disconnected from the world. I had no idea what was going on. I read like on the ticker tape when Terry Stotts got fired. I was like, oh, my God, I'm like living in the 2000s. I'm not even getting updates on my phone or anything. I have to like wait for the TV to tell me when stuff happens. Yeah, being being uh, disconnected was fun, but also made it a little bit difficult for podcasting. It, it did make it a difficult environment for podcasting when there's like 30 drunk 20 age, like middle 20s people running around. So we missed a week. We apologize, but we are back and ready to get at it. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. Since we've last seen you guys or heard you guys or whatever it is with you guys, it has been a minute and a lot has happened in the NBA. I mean, we're done with the first round. Yes, we officially finished the first round and we are just getting going into the second round. And in this podcast, we're going to kind of talk about the results of the first round and our thoughts on the teams and um, who's looking good, who's looking bad, who needs to make adjustments. But before we do that, I think that we should get into our drink of the day. And it's a personal favorite of mine, one of my favorite beers in the entire world. You may have heard of it. It is Guinness. 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 Guinness Stout. It's very. It's a very dark beer out of Ireland, if you haven't heard of it. It's called the Guinness Dra- Draft Stout. The one that we have here is the one that uh, comes out of a bottle. But I will say, Guinness almost always comes better out of the tap. Yeah, it feels weird drinking Guinness out of a bottle a little bit. A little bit, I don't want to say sacrilegious, but a little weird. It's a little bit weird. You want to know some facts? Hit you with some fun facts on Guinness? Yeah, hit me with something. All right. So this is off of like their GuinnessStorehouse.com, which if you've never been, um, it's in Ireland, the Guinness Storehouse. And this is their, they have like like a five-page document of the history of Guinness. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of hit some of the bullet points here. But in 1759, at the age of 34, Arthur Guinness signed a lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He leased the brewery for, get this, 9,000 years. What? (laughs) (laughs) Who signed that contract? (laughs) So my kids, 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 grand, great, grand, bedillion children, children could have this building yes cool yeah so uh he he leased he signed a lease for nine thousand years at an annual rent rent of 45 euros a year is this still like <laughs> did they add inflation <laughs> so, or is he paying 45 euros a year so uh at the so the brewery was only four acres in size when the, he made this lease now guinness obviously has blown up since then it's one of the biggest breweries in the entire world uh sold worldwide now the size of their brewery is 60 acres and it's actually like its own like small like part of like the city of Dublin like is the Guinness St. James yeah, Gate. Absolutely. It, it it is it weird that 60 acres still seems small well, to me. Well, Ireland is kind of small. That's fair. You know what I, I mean? Like fair. 60 yeah. acres like in like a big city is a lot of acres. Well, yeah, but I'm just thinking like the biggest, like one of the biggest breweries in the world, like 60 acres just seems a little small. But you know what? I, I digress. It's Guinness. True. They have, well, they have multiple sites now too. Oh, they have multiple where they actually like brew all the stuff throughout Ireland. Um, but Guinness, it grew from, they originally were making ales and like normal drinks. And uh, then they started getting, leaning into the stout thing. And then they got rid of ales altogether. And then they only made stouts. And then this thing has been going on, obviously, since, like, the mid-1700s. There was, like, nine generations of 
Guinness family that like kind of kept progressing the beer, um, you know, one generation after another. And it got to the point where one of the, it was like the brewery of Guinness was integral to all of Ireland's economy. Like the biggest, like the, the most, uh, jobs came from Guinness and the best high paying jobs came from Guinness. And they like started off, they like were one of the first ones in Ireland to give like benefits. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Isn't that wild? So Guinness is actually like very important to like the entire ecosystem that is Ireland, which makes sense why they're all drunk all the time. The economy of uh, Ireland, very dependent on beer, which is very fitting. Love it. I love that vibe. Yeah. And and I know you've you've been to the actual brewery. I have been. A couple of times now, actually. Um, They're the, it's called the St. James Gate Storehouse and it's the tallest building in Dublin. Like if you look, like it's not much of a skyline, but if you were to look at a skyline, it'd be like their building and like Google's building and like uh, nothing else. <laughs> um, and it's it's very very cool. They show you how they make the beer. They have a ton of different like old artifacts from their marketing and stuff like that. You get to pour, you get one free pour of your own beer, and then you get to the very top. It has like a three sixty degree view of all of Dublin, and it's a very very cool thing. If you ever go to Ireland, it's for me, it's the number one thing to do. Absolutely. And obviously, try Guinness. Even if you don't like stouts, you got to at least give Guinness a try. And if you don't like Guinness, try a black and tan where it's like half Guinness, half uh, like gold ale, whether it's a lager or something like that. But it eases it up just a little bit. But go out and try one. Even if you don't like the stouts, these are very good. Yeah, definitely. So uh, let's talk about the first round. I mean... Full disclosure, we are recording this Tuesday, June 8th, so the second round has already started, and we are recording this before the games happen on June 8th, so you guys will be seeing this tomorrow, uh, June 9th on Wednesday, but because we are recording this before the games and everything, we're going to kind of focus most of our talk today on just breaking down what happened in the first round. We know the second round has started, we know that um, some, you know, a lot of games have been played in the second round, we'll reference that, but today is mainly breaking down what happened in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Yes, exactly. And I think that we should start off over in the Eastern Conference, where the first round was, for lack of a better term, a snooze fest. Yeah, the first round in the Eastern Conference was boring, but we kind of knew that going in. We knew that there was not a lot of great matchups in the first round, but we knew that the second round was going to be exciting, even though, and again, we're referencing this, it hasn't been so far between the Nets and the Bucks, but... Both the Nets and the Bucks really took care of business in the first round. Yes, they really did. Um, along with the the 76ers and the Wizards. So 70 so 76ers well, the Hawks. The Hawks. Yes. 76ers, Nets, Bucks, Hawks all won uh in five games or less, Bucks being the only one to actually sweep. But all of them really just kind of took care of business against the teams that they were going up against. The the Wizards were a fun story going into it. They came in as the ninth. They came in as the eight seed, barely making the eight seed last game of the season. And they had a bunch of like heat. Everyone's like, maybe that they're going to push the 76ers. But we kind of predicted ahead of time that they wouldn't. Yeah, we we the matchup between Joel Embiid and the, and the bigs for the Wizards was just too big to overcome. Russell Westbrook didn't play great the whole series. And you really needed nuclear Russell Westbrook and nuclear Bradley Beal to have a chance. And that didn't happen. The NBA really played up the whole... Russ versus Embiid and their whole saga of not liking each other and being very vocal about that. But overall, not too chippy of a series. I mean, it's hard to be chippy when one team is just so much vastly more talented than the other. Yeah. Now, the scary thing for the Sixers is that Embiid came out of the series with minor injuries, which is yeah, going partially to- torn meniscus. And I think he messed up his back a little bit, too. Which is going to be really scary for them going forward, because that was one of those series where it's like, all right, let's just take care of this and then move on to the series that are actually going to matter like this second round here against the Hawks. Um, but so it, this should have been a walk in the park. It was a walk in the park. Wizards fought. They ended up winning a game four. So they pushed it out to five, but it really felt like a, it was really, it really felt like a sweep, even though they got that game four. So it turned to a and that game sweep. four was the game that Joel Embiid got hurt and didn't play most of the game. Yes. So with him out of the game, the Wizards did take advantage, which I mean, if you take Joel Embiid out of the equation, yes, the Wizards, I would think, have, would have a decent chance just because the matchup's better, and that's why they won game four. But Joel Embiid came back and just kind of took care of business, and the team won the series. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be—the Sixers go as far as Joel Embiid takes them. Ben Simmons is not going to be the center 
cornerstone to the Sixers winning a championship or making to a conference finals sort of thing. So Embiid needs to be healthy and needs to be good for them to advance even past like a Hawks team. But uh, the Nets and the Celtics, that was a series that a lot of people thought maybe the Celtics could like pop a little bit. Um, they played pretty well in game one. They like the Nets finally just kind of took over there in the fourth quarter, but that also turned into a five game series. Yeah, too much firepower for the Nets. I mean, with with Jalen Brown out for the Celtics, and I mean, there was just too much on Jason Tatum and the complimentary pieces, Kemba Walker being the main one, just really underperformed. I mean, in a series where you are outgunned that much, you need your superstar to play well, and then you need some role players to really, really, really step up and pick up the slack. And it just didn't happen. J- Jason Tatum played a phenomenal series, played really well, and um, they. But it just wasn't enough. Yeah, the, the Celtics are a very interesting case right now because they have made the conference finals, not including this year, three of the last four seasons, and they have a young core, and so they should assume to themselves that they would be better than what they have been, or specifically this year. So, Ethan, what would you do going forward if? Like if you're the Celtics, I mean, they already made one big move, you know, mm-hmm. get Danny Ainge retiring, Brad Stevens, their head coach, moving into more of a uh, general manager office side of things job, which was shocking yeah. and, and, and came out of nowhere. It was like, which just in my mind tells me there is a lot more going wrong behind the scenes in Boston than meets the eye. I mean, if, if you're the Celtics, you've got to try to get rid of Kemba Walker that, that experiment Agreed. didn't work. Um, it, it, it's it's just he hasn't played well. I mean, you, if you can get someone to take that contract, great. If not, no big, like you're kind of screwed. I was going to say no big deal, but it's not. Like you have to get – if you're going to get better, he's the piece you have to move just because he's making so much damn money. The fit between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum makes sense on paper, but on the court it's a little clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the greatest, so you could explore moving one of them. Maybe maybe you do like a blockbuster trade, but I, I don't see them moving one of those two young pieces. And uh, the biggest thing is trying to get rid of Kemba Walker and then finding a big man. The Celtics need to find – they have been searching for a big man for a long time, and they, they just – they don't have one. I mean, yep. they, they have tall players, I guess, in Tristan Thompson, and they had uh, the guy they traded for. Daniel Tice. Well, they no, traded they Daniel, Daniel Tice. Tice they brought for, in Cornette. Yeah, Luke Cornette. That's what I'm thinking of. So, like, those guys can't be your big rotation. It, it just as simple as that. It cannot be like that. Yeah, they, their best big man in the you know come the end of the season was Robert Williams, who is good, but he's, he's six, also eight. six eight. And so, do you really want to be playing a six foot eight center that can't shoot and can't handle and doesn't really have much like like on ball skills? Like he's just like a very physical, athletic dude. And just for reference, Luka Doncic, the point guard for the Mavericks, is six eight. <laughs> so that just shows how short their best center is. Yeah. So yeah, not not much to say about this series. I mean, move, like looking ahead, the Nets are just they were just start getting started. And now mm-hmm. they're playing so well in, you know, Harden's out, but they're playing so well in the second round. The Nets look scary. The Nets, if they play the way that they are, which is to say dominating, not a bad Celtics team, a, a, a irritated or like a confused or a disgruntled Celtics team. Yes, but not a bad Celtics team. Still a lot of talent on that. Took care of them for like four one easy money gets to the next round. And now they're just destroying the Bucks. I mean, it it seems this feels a lot like the beginning of a team that's just like on their way to go win a championship. Yeah, they they are peaking at the right time. They're getting a lot from their role players at the right time. Joe Harris has been exceptional this playoffs. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's played really well. They've gotten great minutes from Bruce Brown. They've gotten great minutes from their big man, Nicholas Claxton. They played the role players are playing well at the perfect time. And then you've got the you've got the most firepower in the NBA offensively. So, I mean, yes, do they have some question marks defensively, but so far this playoffs, they're scoring so much it doesn't even matter. Yeah, it's it's very true. The Nets, the Nets are playing really, really well. Blake Griffin playing a lot better than a lot of people thought that he would. I was kind of on the Blake Griffin train. I thought that he wasn't done yet. I thought that wherever he was going to go, as long as he's not like a star, I thought they had a lot of basketball left. I kind of think the same similar type of thing like with Kevin Love right now, I think, and like Nicholas Batum. Like I was like, Nick Batum isn't a bad player. He's just kind of done playing for this team. He's making his money and not really getting a role, and people kind of think he sucks, so he's just like, stop trying. And I think that's kind of what happened with Blake Griffin in Detroit because he looked broken down earlier this season, goes to the Nets, and is like a whole new guy. The role players have stepped up really, really big 
for the Nets? The big thing for them is health. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. they're playing really well without James Harden. And it's the scary thing. They might not need him to win the championship this year. They might not. Yeah. They're they're destroying the Bucks without him. I mean, yes, he played 45 seconds in game one. But they so, really, they've won two games against arguably their biggest opponent in the Eastern Conference without him. And so, I mean, yes, it's it would be nice to have him. But, I mean, the fact that they're playing this well without him, he's going to come back. And it the rest of the NBA should be on notice. Dude, there are four guys that are out due to injury right now are Harden, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Those are four very, very good basketball players yeah, that four, aren't playing four, for you right four now. Four current rotation players and arguably a – well, no. Four current rotation players and a bona fide star, arguably your best player. An MVP candidate. Yes, are out. You do that to any other team, they're, they're done. getting swept. Yeah. And this team is beating the Milwaukee Bucks with like a, a, a two-time MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo on it. And they're like killing them. Yeah. Like murdering them. I uh, I really wonder what's going to happen with that series if by this time next week when we're talking about it, if it's, oh my gosh, the Bucks have just been swept or if it's, okay, this is a series again. Because going down 2-0 is not a death sentence as we have seen earlier in the playoffs yeah. and we will get to that series later. But uh, they're not out of it. Just because you lose by a lot in two games doesn't mean you're out of it for the entire series. So I'm interested to see what happens there. And naturally we got to the second round. So moving back to the first round, yes. the Bucks did take care of the Heat very easily. Yes. 4-0. Just the very first game was that overtime game where Chris Middleton had to dip into his bag of heroics to get the win. And after that, I think a lot of people assume this is going to be a great series. The Heat beat them last year. Um, the Heat still have a lot of pieces that are good against the Bucks. The Bucks are still like the team that struggles in the playoffs. This might be interesting. And the Bucks, to me, turned on another gear to just be like, no, like, fuck this. We need to get out of the first round and just move on. Yeah, this was a revenge series. This yes. was personal for the Milwaukee Bucks. They they were they came out and they were like, let's we need to take care of business here and we need to send a message. And they did. Um, and I think flipping the page for the Heat, losing game one in the way they did on such a heroic, like, fadeaway shot that was a backbreaker. And I think it kind of broke the spirit of the whole team, which is funny because last year in the bubble, they were known as the spirit team. Like, they, they had so much resolve, so much bounce back, ma- bounce back mentality. And their leader, Jimmy Butler, was, like, so much of, like, a brute force type of guy, like, mm-hmm. you know, grind type of guy. That, but this year, I mean, he played horrible in the series. He got outscored by Bryn Forbes. Yeah, yeah. He played horrible. Jimmy Butler played horrible in the series. Bam at a bio had a tough se- Like, no one really played well for the Heat, and the Bucks just came out with a chip on their shoulder, which, as a better team with the chip on your shoulder, that's scary. Yeah. The Heat are already star hunting. Yeah. Like, now that it's like off season for them, like, it's already come out. It's like, I saw a thing yesterday where it's like, they're looking to get Damian. They're looking to get CJ McCollum if they can't get Damian Lillard. It's like they're already looking at who is the next star that they're going to bring in. I'm not sure they're totally sold on Oladipo right now, being a guy that's actually going to be on their team going forward. Whether they use him as a sign and trade or they do bring him back, um, he still can be a really good basketball player. But obviously, there's something on this Heat team that needs to be fixed because they struggled all year and. They struggled in the playoffs, and the only excuse I can really come up for them is the same excuse I'd give the Lakers, which is they only had the 71-day offseason of rest coming into this new season. Yeah, I was I was about to bring that up. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that both finals teams were bounced in the first round. I really don't. Because that, that play, being in the bubble that long, being in the grind that long, having such a short offseason, I mean, that's brutal on your body. And so I think both teams that, I mean struggled in the playoffs and like looked just beaten down and tired and not a lot, not enough left in the tank. I think that goes to show. I think, I mean, if you're a heat fan, I don't think it's time to panic just because I think that you mean your core is still good and it's still there. Yes. You can bring in some other pieces. Yes. Your roster will probably change a little bit, but overall I think that um, you guys are going to be fine. You just needed some rest and this team needed, this team needs an off season so badly. Yeah. Well, here, here's the one thing that if I'm a Heat fan, I'm really upset with is you 
pretty much could have gotten James Harden, but you were not willing to give up Tyler Hero. And now they're already talking about trading Tyler Hero, like one offseason They later. call him the Kuzma of the East, is what he's being called. Oh. I've heard that. The Kyle <laughs> Kuzma of the East, which is not a good thing to be called. No, that is not a good thing to be called. Yeah, Hero, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but knowing Pat Riley, he doesn't like sitting still. He's going to make some sort of moves. He's good. It's not going to be the exact same team come next year, uh, whether it's moving Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson or whatever it is. But I think that they're going to make some moves. But, yes, I agree with you. I don't think it's time to panic. Yeah. Um, we got one more series to talk about. And yes, that would be the historic rise and the quick fall of the New York <laughs> Knicks. Hey, but Knicks fans, you made the playoffs. You were hosted a playoff series. Like, congrats to you guys, but damn, you guys look bad in the playoffs. Dude, you know what's weird? So this, I think, was what people thought would be the marquee matchup in the Eastern Conference for the first round. I mean, Bucks Heat had a lot of uh, fun storylines with it, but the Knicks-Hawks won. Both of them were bad teams last year. They both made big, big jumps this year in very different ways. Like the Knicks are a nose to the grindstone, defensive stalwart, heavy minutes on their stars team, where the Hawks are a very fast-paced, run-and-gun, a lot of shooters, a lot of different role players that can make plays kind of team. And it almost goes to show like the way the new age of the NBA is leaning towards the offensive side of things and the defensive side of things, because I don't think these teams are actually that far apart from each other, but it looks like that after this series. Yeah. And, and the big difference to me in this series was the superstar play. Trey young solidified himself as like a, okay, this guy not only deserves to be in the NBA because everyone knew that, but deserves to be talked about as a star in the NBA. A lot of people have him in their top 10 list lately. He is, he played amazing. And I mean, he embraced like a villainary role, which I kind of liked. Like he was like, you know, pl- playing angry, playing with a chip on his shoulder, wasn't backing down in front, in front as a small guy. I mean, you got to play like that, you know, I don't want to say chihuahua, but you got to be like the <laughs> chihuahua. He doesn't, and, he doesn't have enough hair to be a chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Julius Randle from the Knicks or from the Knicks just couldn't get it going. Could not get anything going in the in the uh, in the series. Yeah, Julius Randle has a very interesting style of gameplay. Where the first thing he wants to do is put his head down, get to the hoop, get underneath the hoop, and either finish or get fouled. Well, they were like double teaming him as soon as he started attacking the rim. So that that took a big part of his game away. He's also a very good shooter and good fadeaway shooter, and he makes a lot of hard, difficult shots. And so then he started leaning more into that, and that just plummeted his percentages and made him look really, really bad. And there wasn't really another guy that they could go to outside of Derrick Rose. You know, he can go and get his own bucket, but RJ's not totally there yet. He's still a bit more of a corner three-point shooter and like athletic defender. I'd say the same with Alec Burks and like a lot of the other guys that they have on their team play supplementary roles behind what Julius Randle does. And the fact that he struggled so much is the biggest part of why they ended up losing 5-1 or 4-1. Yeah, it was it was another snoozer of a series, which was a bummer because that one had a lot of intrigue, a lot of, you know, like you said, um, backing from the NBA as mm-hmm. like the marquee matchup. Um, but yeah, this series as a Knicks fan, you got to be like, OK, we made it. You know, we, we made the playoffs. Did we play well? No. But we are we got our young players some experience in the playoffs. And that's the biggest thing that matters. If you're the Hawks, you're like, man. Trey Young's fucking good. Oh yeah, he is so good, and you got to be like this guy. I mean, let, uh, as a man, a Mavs fan, it hurts, but Trey Young got out of the first round before Luca did. Like that's pretty impressive, you know. It's very true. They also were playing the Knicks, and you were playing the Clippers. Well, yeah, the no, Clippers no, but, are objectively and, and, and better. I, and, I'm but, not, and I'm not trying to like make this a Trey Young versus Luca thing, but I mean, like comparing you to your draft class, like that's what a lot of people do. And he got out of the first round. You got to tip your hat, and he was the the cog of the wheel that got out of the first round. It's true. And you know, he played very, very well. He did. Trey Young is showing to be an amazing basketball player. Uh, pretty much doing the exact same thing he was doing at Oklahoma, which is just destroying your soul by him being this tiny little guy that just cannot miss. And he's just getting fouls left and right. And I love the that fact that he's embracing the villain role. Love that. Because the NBA needs villains. And the fact that he's willing to lean into it, I think is the best move that his PR team could have ever done. Yeah. And he's and gonna be more popular because of it. And it, it it's not a true villainary role. Like, I mean, it's one thing to like shush some shush some fans, but shushing fans at the garden, like, that's pretty iconic. Take some balls. And I mean, he he had the right to be pissed. He got spit on. 
Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like I'd be pissed. Like he has the right to be angry. Like I feel, I feel like a lot of, a lot of like just generic basketball fans, like generic NBA fans are like, well, yeah, get in their face. They spit on you. Of course be, <laughs> of course you'd be mad. So I don't necessarily, it's like a true villainary role, but he played angry. I think he's, I think he's moving his way into a true villain role. I think he already like he irritated a lot of people, but like it's like oh like he's a young guy. Like NBA fans don't really hate young people. You got to really lean into it if you want to be hated as like a young star coming up. Uh, but he is already starting to lean into it. So my bet is the more successful that they will be, which I think they will be more successful as the years go on, the more people are just gonna be like, yeah, man, fuck that Trey Young guy, he's flop flopping bitch. Like. <laughs> Uh, but uh, also, you got to tip your hat to him again. They destroyed the 76ers in the oh, second yeah. round. Oh, yeah. Which is a that series, game one? That, which is, the, yeah, in game one. But it was, which is a series that I think the whole world thought was going to be a sweep. And they came out and just punched Philadelphia in the mouth. Yeah. Big game one. That's exactly, if you want to upset a team, getting game one is usually a big start to that. So getting game one is really big for them. If Embiid is not going to be himself, if he's going to be even just like at, 75% Capella is the type of guy that can take advantage of that and slow you down. And there's not, I mean, it's going to be up to Ben Simmons to really stop Trey young and hope that the Hawks, uh, other perimeter shooters don't take advantage, but it was, it was a very, very interesting to see the Knicks go down the way that they did and the Hawks step up the way that they are. And I think that that's going to actually be a big narrative for the years going forward. Hopefully the Knicks on my guess are going to be like, star hunting a little bit this offseason trying to like boost themselves up but the Hawks I think you're almost like maintaining and just trying to tweak and find the right pieces because they're on the right trajectory absolutely absolutely um moving on here let's let's go back to this Guinness for a minute before we get into the Western Conference because what we do on this podcast is we talk about one thing we take a break we talk about what we're drinking and then we go back to that the, what we were talking about originally at the beginning it's a beautiful model it's a beautiful <laughs> model yeah, so he uh, just drinking the Guinness. This is probably my one one thousandth Guinness. Oh my god, I can't talk. I'm getting drunk already. <laughs> one thousandth Guinness I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, I will say, like I said earlier, um, it's it's better out of the draft, and this might be like a total bias thing, but I think it tastes better out of the draft in Europe and like in Ireland than it actually does in America. I actually no, think that there is ah, the in and out argument. Yes. <laughs> it's better in California than anywhere else. Ah, the in and out <laughs> argument. I love it. Uh, but the overall taste of it is it's like a softer stout. It's a more palatable stout than your normal stout is. It doesn't punch you in the face with like the coffee or like chocolate that normally just mm-hmm. attacks and just goes at your taste buds which is definitely there still it's it's still there but it it doesn't like it's not you know burning everything down and attacking you it's more like ah yes i'm here how's it going a lot of the times when you're drinking a stout it's like i'm not even ordering food because that is my meal sort of thing (laughs) (laughs) they're usually very very heavy really like if they want to go more into the bitter then they like lean really heavy into the coffee if they really want to go into sweet then they lean really heavy into the uh into the chocolate, but stout or the Guinness to me finds that perfect balance where I can still just drink it and it's just as smooth and it's just like, I'm just sipping on it and I'm enjoying it and it's not too intense. It's, I personally am not a coffee drinker, so I don't love coffee flavored stuff. So I don't think I get a lot of coffee out of this, but it's just like, to me, it's, it's, it's definitely thick, but it's more of a smooth richness to it. Yeah, I would agree. And and it doesn't necessarily pick a side. We were talking about, you were talking about stats a second ago. Um, it doesn't necessarily lean coffee or chocolate. It kind of toes the middle a little bit, which, mm-hmm. which I think is a testament to why it's so smooth is it doesn't lean so much one way or the other. Yeah. And it's interesting. Guinness always like they, uh, they put like the nitrogen into it to like keep the flavor in when you're like putting it in a bottle. And if you have the cans, it actually even has like, I don't know the science behind it, but there's like a little like ball. It's almost like a ping pong ball. Yeah. It's like a little ball inside of the cans when you open it because it helps keep the nitrogen inside of it. Um, We're not chemists here. No, I'm not into chemistry. (laughs) It's not, it's not my major. Uh, But yes, I, I love Guinness. If you are at your, go to a local Irish pub. I don't know where you live, but I can guarantee there's one over there. <laughs> and go get yourself a Guinness or a black and tan if you don't want to go full stout. Yeah, and and black and tans are also 
super interesting because the coloring of the beer is super cool. Like, like I've, I've had black and tans obviously here in, in the States, but like you, you've had black and tans in Ireland, like the true ones. Explain Mm -hmm. that a little bit. So it's pretty much, it's what they do is they start off by like, they like put the Guinness in at the bottom and then as like your first half of your beer and then they'll fill it up with some sort of lager. The most popular one is the harp lager, which also comes out of Ireland. And then that supposedly, and then it makes like, literally black and tan like it's a black bottom half and a tan top half and then as you drink it they like blend together like as you're sipping it yeah so it, it, it's one of the like and again we're not chemists here but it, the, the, <laughs> the darker beer is heavier than the lighter beer so it it kind of separates itself yeah and so it 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 looks like you're drinking two different drinks but when you pour it when you tilt the cup over to sip it or the glass over to sip it they kind of mix together on the way to your mouth yeah exactly and if you don't want to do that do some irish car bombs those are always fun too well then (laughs) (laughs) i can confidently say we will confidently say we will not be doing an irish car bomb podcast anytime soon you never know don't rule (laughs) anything out let's move on over to the western conference though yeah absolutely we've got uh the western conference was definitely a lot more um intriguing and had a lot better series than the Eastern Conference did. Um, most of them went at least six and or three of the four went at least six. Um, so let's let's actually talk about the one that didn't go six and then we'll break down the more intriguing ones after that. So all right, so the first one it's the one eight matchup, the jazz and the Grizzlies, which right off the bat, the Grizzlies took game one. Which, yes. as we were saying, was kind of the recipe for if you're going to upset someone, like you could like Winning game one is usually a big step to that. And there was a lot of fun narratives as as in like the original grit and grind Grizzlies, the first playoff series they were ever in with Mike Conley, Marcus Gasol, Tony Allen, Zach Randolph. They were an eight seed and then they beat the Spurs who were a one seed. And so all the Grizzly fans, like I live with a Grizzly fan, so I get to hear it all the time. But they're like, look, this it matches the narrative. It matches the narrative from before. Like we could have win this series. Obviously, they did not. The Jazz kind of just like turned into the Jazz. And the funny thing is, the Grizzlies didn't play bad basketball. Like They, they act- don't play basketball. Like, that's the thing about the Grizzlies. They never, you never catch them on an off night because they have so much depth and talent on that roster. And they don't, like we talked about it before on the podcast, they don't play bad players. And so when you don't play bad players, even when someone has a bad game, there's someone else to pick up the slack. And that's what this Grizzly team is. Do they have the complete star power to, you know, upset a one seed? Not yet. They're getting there, but not yet. Yeah. But they don't play anyone bad. Yeah. And the plus side of you're the Grizzlies is your star players are on your team. They're just developing into star players. Yes. Right? It's yes, like you don't absolutely. need to go find a star player. It's like John Morant is going to be your superstar, your all-star. Jaron Jackson is going to be your fringe all-star, like, very good player on your team. Like, you have those two pieces, and then you have a bunch of young, good role-player pieces. And it's almost like you're at the point of who's going to stay and who's going to go. Because at some point, these guys are going to be poached off by other people. Yeah, they're not going to be able to pay them all. So it's it's one of those things where you've got to, you know, enjoy the time of having all these guys. Um, a thing for the Jazz, you lost game one because Donovan Mitchell didn't play. Mm-hmm. It's simple as that. Um then he came out and took care of business. The Jazz look good and the Jazz look scary. They're another team that plays, they don't play a lot of bad players. So it was a tough matchup for the Grizzlies. Um, and they just look good. If I'm the Jazz, the only negative I'm coming out of this series with is that Donovan Mitchell seems kind of pissed at the organization <laughs> for not playing him game one. But you're moving on to game, you're moving on, you're playing the Clippers, uh, moving eyes up, playing the next series. Yep. Um, not really much to talk about for the rest of this series, I, I don't think. Um, jazz came out and took care of business. Yeah, the Jazz, the jazz uh, it's almost like it's a good thing that you're really good at defense and you shoot one of the best percentages from three on one of the highest clips. It's almost like that's a winning formula or something. Yeah, play good defense, make a lot of threes. Isn't that what the NBA wants right now? Yeah, exactly. And you got your one star that can go and get you a bucket, but you got a lot of guys on the Jazz that can individually go and find their own bucket between Conley and Mitchell and Bogdanovich and Ingles and Clarkson. Clarkson. There's like a bunch of guys that like can go get their own shot, but they move like the Spurs. This is a very, very difficult team to win. I think to beat, I think the second round matchup against the Clippers is going to be really, really fun. Yeah. Um, moving on. Who do you want to talk about next? Let's just go down the line here. Uh, like let's do the two seven now. Okay. So we got Suns versus Lakers as the two seven matchup. 
Lakers boy, coming. did the NBA want this to be a series. Oh, yeah. Boy, did the NBA want this to go seven so badly. They kept pushing out the uh, the Nuggets-Blazers series to NBA TV, and they put kept putting the Suns-Lakers on TNT just for the Suns to go and beat their ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... It, it, if I, again, if I'm a Lakers fan, I'm not panicking. Um, I'm more thinking, you know, like same thing as the Heat. We had no offseason, and our players seemed to just run out of gas. In a, in a season where LeBron and AD couldn't get healthy, I mean, did your role players play great? No. Are you going to have to tweak your roster to, you know, get some role players that fit the team a little bit better? Absolutely. But I think your core is there, and I think your core just needs some rest. Yeah. I mean, you still have the best duo in the entire NBA with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, right? And it, it just like the Heat, like you're saying, it sucks that like you only had the 71 days, especially when you have an often injured Anthony Davis and a very old LeBron James. Those are guys that need their rest. They just are. But kudos to the Suns. You oh, still yeah. had to go out there and take care of business. Flipping the page to the Suns, I mean, this might be the most fun team to watch in the playoffs. Just because there's so many storylines here. You've got the youth of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges. You've got the veteran leadership of Jay Crowder and Chris Paul who have been there before. You've got, you know, the grindiness, the the grit of this team that plays really good defense and just doesn't back down from anywhere. Chris Paul will talk shit to anybody. Jay Crowder got kicked out of a game for salsa dancing. <laughs> just just as petty as it gets. Just salsa dancing in LeBron's face. Just they don't back down from anybody. But then you've got the offensive, you know, stars of you know Chris Paul, who doesn't necessarily need to score to be great. But then you've got Devin Booker, who, in my opinion, is the closest thing to offensive game of Kobe in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. They have just so many different storylines, and it all meshes together, and it's beautiful. Yeah, the you know when Chris Paul was last season was like, I want to go to the Suns. It's like you want to go to the Suns. Why? I like, called that you, on the podcast. Yes, I called did. that. Let's yes, go. yes, you did. And I was like, why do you want to go to the Suns? Like, how much better could you possibly make the Suns? And this is the answer. This is how much better you can make the Suns. You can be a two seed in the West, beating the Lakers, the championship Lakers in the in the first round of the playoffs. And 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 have arguably, and we talked about this a couple of pods ago, the worst matchup you could have wanted in the first round. Mm-hmm. Like matchup wise. This was the worst thing that could have happened to the Suns, and they still came out in one and six. Yeah, because I think that one of the one of the shortfalls for Phoenix is your backup bigs. You only have you really only have one genuine center that's like going to play a lot of minutes, and that is DeAndre Ayton. When DeAndre Ayton goes out, it's like you're relying on Dario Saric. You're relying on maybe a Frank Kaminsky to come in, um, and and the Lakers are a massive team. You know they have Marcus All. Montrez coming off the bench with Anthony Davis and Drummond starting. And so I thought that that was going to be where the major issue was, but they really figured it out. They solved it. And Marcus Gasol and Andre Drummond did him a lot of favors by playing absolutely terrible. Yes, they as did. Well. If those guys stepped up, that could have been a very different series. And it could have been like the, the Lakers really needed the role players to step up and take care of the series to help them out with this one. And they just didn't. And the Suns didn't let them. It yep. wasn't like a, it wasn't like the Suns were lucky to get out of the series. That's not what we're trying to say. We're saying that the Suns came out and took care of business and the Lakers needed extraordinary play from their role players to even have a chance. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move on to our next series. Okay. So the next two series, I would say, obviously, Ethan and I are biased, but I think that they were the two most compelling, fun to watch series that there were in the first round. Yeah, I would say yes, probably. Um, so let's talk about the number three Denver Nuggets playing against the number six Portland Trailblazers. It was uh, it was a rematch of two years ago in the Western semifinals when the Blazers beat the Nuggets. They beat them in seven games, and I really thought this was going to go seven games. And in Game Six, they kind of Blazers kind of just fell apart, and the Nuggets took over. The Nuggets did what great teams should do, which is take over in the fourth quarter in these closeout games. Yeah, and it it was it was a tough pill to swallow if you're the Blazers, just because matchup wise, this is what you wanted. Yep. You wanted a team who couldn't guard, you know, your guards. And let's be honest, Dame is solidifying himself as a Hall of Famer, solidifying himself as one of the greatest playoff players in the history of the NBA. And CJ played all right, you he, know? He was a little booty cheeks down, like, the stretch when we were, like, losing a lot of these games. Because, like, early on it was, 
one it was one one and then it was two two and then it's like tied two when it was tied two two I did not think it was going to end in six. I don't think anyone did. I didn't think that it was going to end in six. And those last two games, the supporting cast really did not help. Like there was one game the Blazers won where Dame only scored ten points and the supporting cast was great. But then down the stretch when it actually mattered, CJ didn't step up, Norman didn't step up, Nurt kept fouling out. Like they just like all these guys who were supposed to be Dame's help did not ended up not helping him. When Dame puts up a 55-point game and we still lose, like, that's just brutal. Like, yeah. there's nothing more the man can do for you. No, and, and, and talking about that 55-point game, that was game five, right? Yeah. That might have been the greatest basketball game I've ever seen. It was incredible. Double overtime, Dame making circus shot after circus shot, especially from three down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And Nurkic, or not Nurkic, Jokic just coming back and answering. And they, the two were just dueling back and forth. And then, you know, the the Nuggets would make a, a, a clutch three to, that you think would seal it. And then, nah, Dame would come back and hit this crazy fadeaway. And it just kept going and kept going. And, kept, and eventually, Dame ended up passing, which is the problem. The, that they the, one, the one mistake Dame did was passing the basketball and CJ stepping out of bounds. Because everyone at that point wanted to see Dame shoot. And honestly, if you go back and look at the play, it is the right play. It is, 100%. CJ hit a big three earlier in that game. Dame has been with CJ for a long time. He trusts that his running mate there, like he trusts that CJ is going to hit a wide open three. The pass was a little bit late and a little bit high, and CJ just like kind of just stepped backwards and hit that out of bounds. But it wasn't the wrong play, but everyone wanted to see Dame shoot that ball. Yeah. And flipping the page to the Nuggets, I mean, you, you got out of it. Right, mm-hmm. you you got out of the first round, um, which is a feat given that you don't have your second best player. Yeah, which is a feat that you don't have your player that would have helped with the matchup that the Blazers had the advantage in, which is the guard play. And I think it showed Jokic is good, he's great, mm-hmm. he is the MVP, and this supporting cast can help. Aaron Gordon may not have scored a lot, but played great defensively that series. Um, you know, you had uh, your role player step up, Compazzo and Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers especially. Austin Rivers won him a game. Yeah, cannot enough. Be, I mean, this guy was out of basketball a month ago. Yeah, and came on in a ten day contract with the Nuggets at one point. And came in, and I mean, you got it. You got to tip your hat to that guy. Played about. I mean, you can't play defense on Dame and CJ. You can just try to get in the way and hope to limit them, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, especially with CJ, he did a great job defending CJ. Yes, you know. Um, and so, and, and hit big do- shots down the stretch. I mean, you got guys like Mar- uh, uh, Morris. What, Monte Morris. Monte Morris. I almost said Marcus Morris. Ugh. Nope, not him. Disgusting. <laughs> Monte Morris played really well th- for them in a couple of games. Michael Porter Jr. hit some big shots. I mean, this is a team's team, and this team is well coached. This team doesn't get down on themselves, and this team doesn't look afraid of the moment. No, uh, not at all. This This looks like a team who every year in the playoffs has been progressing. They made the playoffs, and then they made the playoffs again and got to the second round, lost in seven games to a tough Portland team, made the playoffs again, Get all had to work back from being down 3-1 in two different series to get, Not once, all, but twice. to get all the way to the conference finals, played against like a pretty much unstoppable Laker, Lakers team at that point, and now it's time to continue to progress on that. If I am the Nuggets, I'm like, look, we, need, we want to get to the conference finals again, and we want to fight in the conference finals. We want a chance at being in the championship. I would agree with you, but I'd push back a little bit. The The fact that uh, they don't have um, Jamal Murray is a huge get-out-of-jail-free card for them. I'm not saying like it's they should be using it like, oh, we don't have to do well. We have, don't have Jamal Murray. But if, if, they, if they don't get out of this round against the Suns, I'm not saying that they regressed. I'm saying that they didn't have their second-best player. You take the second-best player off any team, they're, they're, not they're, not, they're not going as far as they did the year before. Yeah, and not even just Jamal Murray, but... Two other guys who were starters for them in P.J. Dozier and Will Barton. Their starting lineup right now would be Murray, Barton, Dozier. Wait, no. Murray, Barton, Gordon, Porter, Jokic. Yeah. With Dozier playing significant minutes off the bench with uh, Composo. Probably. Composo and Rivers probably wouldn't be getting minutes. Probably. In a regular, if they were healthy. Because Monte would still be their backup point guard. If, if If their two starting guards would not be getting minutes if they were healthy. And Jack Harrison certainly wouldn't be getting minutes either. No. Like, they are deep into their bench. They're still playing really well. Did it they is- get blown out the other night by the Suns? Not necessarily. 
It was uh, a pretty close game. It was game a close game time. until Chris Paul was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done with this and went on a run. So, but that, I mean, that's what happened in game one against the Blazers. The Blazers yep. went on a run. So the, the Nuggets are not done. And they, if you're a Nuggets fan, you should be optimistic about winning this series, but it's not the end of the world if you don't. Yes, exactly. So up to our last series. Yes. You boys. It was tough. I mean, this team, this. Obviously, let's break break it down a little bit. Mavericks versus the Clippers. Uh, game, it went seven games. It was probably, I was. You could make a thirty for thirty on this whole series. It was one of the weirdest NBA series I've ever seen. No game, home team won until game seven. You went from the swing of like the Mavericks winning the first two games on the road with all this momentum, and then the Clippers coming back and hitting these crazy games, and Kawhi and Luka just dueling back and forth the whole time, and then you went like. From like the Clippers going big and the Mavs going small. And then all of a sudden the Mavs rolled out the two seven foot four guys and Boban playing significant minutes down the stretch. It was just so much going on. Came down to a game seven that was closer than it looked on the scoreboard. I mean, it was a crazy series taking my Mavs fanship off. The Mavs hat is coming off for a second. Probably one of the most fun series in a long time. It was so fun to watch each game. I mean, as a Mavs fan, my heart was breaking and aching, and I was going nuts the whole time. But like, everyone's want to take it back and take my hat off and be like, "Holy cow, this is crazy!" Like, you got this 22 year old Luca who's just doing crazy things with no help, and then you have this Terminator in Kawhi who drops 45 points in a must win game on the road. Like, that's not easy to do, and like. The, the whole like Clippers not having a lot of fans and the Mavs packing the house. Like it was just, there's so much that happened in this series that like we could do a whole podcast on it. Yeah. I also think uh, an underrated piece to this series was the coaching duel. The Carlisle versus Tyron Lue. Ty Lue ended up benching a couple of his, like he benched Zubac, right? And Carlisle ended up starting Boban. And so like it was this constant back and forth battle between those two in what are what rotation guys do we need to lean on? He ended up playing Nicholas Batum 42 minutes in a game seven and played him down the stretch. Reggie Jackson playing big, big minutes, averaging 15 points a game in this series. It, it was, was, it was, it was almost, a great series. It was almost like both coaches kind of ran out of players at some point. We're just like, I've thrown the kitchen sink out here and I don't know what to do next. Like yeah. I've, I put out almost every, almost Mavs have three roster spots taken up by rookies. Every other player saw significant minutes in this series. Yeah. That just shows the mental games that Carlisle was going through. And I'm guessing the Clippers did something similar. Yes. And the, yeah, so the Clippers were doing similar type of stuff. I mean, Terrence Mann and played came big, out in big minutes. And huge. And I mean, one got them the lead in the first half of game seven. Like a guy who's a second round pick in year two or three. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It it was a it was a very, very good series. You had so many great narratives between all the way going back to they played each other last year in the bubble. And that was a very good series, very chippy series. This also was a very chippy series. Everyone kind of in each other's face. Luca yelling, you're too fucking small to Pat Bev. Who Great. then did not play in another game in the series, by the way. <laughs> Dude, I have a buddy who bought a t-shirt that like custom made a t-shirt that says you're too small, which in hindsight is going to be a very funny t-shirt for him to have for the rest yeah, of his life. The fact, that, the fact that we lost this series. Um, but that being said, some takeaways from this. Kawhi solidified himself in my mind as, if not the best player in the NBA, the top three. He K, mm-hmm. K, The way KD's playing might push him for it, but Kawhi is a straight-up killer. And Luka Doncic is special. He is special. I mean, he was the best player on the court every yes. game. There was not a game out there that he wasn't the best player on the court. I mean, he had to be. Yeah. And, right? I mean, there's a new pandemic P. <laughs> Yes, and we uh, don't need to get into it, but there's a new pandemic P, and it's not Paul George. Mr. Paul passed the crown on to young Przingis. I saw a meme, and it's like the uh, it's uh, the thing. Have you seen it? It's like the Pirates of the Caribbean, and the pirate has like the the noose around its neck. He's about to be. Oh, hanged. it's like and first time. Huh? Yeah, and he's like first time, huh? And it's like when Paul George sees Chris Stapps on the pandemic P train, he's like, ah, first time, huh? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's tough. Przingis certainly did not step up. I wouldn't say anyone outside of like Tim in those first two games that was a, a rotation guy for the Mavs like have like a massive game that got you a win sort of thing like it Tim had the first had great first two games 
you won both those games. Ever since it was kind of the Luca show, and no one and everyone else played well. Like everyone else had good games every once in a while, but Porzingis certainly did not step up. And then Tim, I don't think stepped up after those first two. Yeah, I mean Tim, Tim, he played good. He, but he not averaged great. over twenty points per game for the series. So I mean, and you don't do that by getting twenty twice. It's true. You know, he had twenty points per game, and I think game five and six. Uh, but and that's good. Chris Stapps, Chris Stapps averaged twelve point five points per game for the series and three point seven rebounds. Yeah, it's not. It's from not your great. max player. It's not now, great. now I don't. I again taking the Mavs fandom hat off. Yes, I'm mad at Chris Stapps, but also I think that was a a lot of it had to do with coaching. Co- the coaching staff of the Mavericks gave up on Chris Stapps, and Chris Stapps played bad enough for them to give up on him, but they also gave up on him. And I think Chris Stapps, in, in a way, kind of gave up on himself too. I think that I mean, he. I he, think. Sure, played like it. He shot like six times in one game. He just for a guy that's in a playoff situation does not. It doesn't look like he's like in there in the trenches with his boys. Like, let's get ourselves out of it. Let's earn this. It almost seemed to me like I'm kind of done here. Like, this is not the role I really wanted. Like, no one really takes me seriously as like a number two to Luca. Like, I I just like I'm mentally I'm already in the off season. Yeah, and and. I expect the Mavericks to be very active this offseason. We don't need to get into that, but the, that is the, the future of Chris Stapps for the Mavericks will be a big cog in the offseason in the entire NBA. Yes. Flipping the page to the Clippers. You guys are so lucky to get out of this series. They are. Very lucky to get out of the series. If you're a Clippers fan, you're like, man, if we lost game seven, Kawhi's probably already in a Golden State Warriors jersey by now. Yeah. Yeah. Kawhi, Kawhi and or Paul George are both looking for their way out if you lose in the first round. Now, I will say, if you lose in the second round, you might still be in that boat. I am terrified of the Clippers playing the Jazz, too. Like, if I'm a Clippers fan, I'm like, man, we did not, like, we almost lost to a 22-year-old playing one-on-five. Mm-hmm. And the Jazz are a lot better than the 22-year-old playing one-on-five. So they either need to step up and, I mean, Paul George didn't have a bad series. He didn't have a great scoring series. But he like averaged a double double. Yeah, and like, he, he hit played big shots. very very well. And uh, so yes, did he not? He wasn't dropping you know thirty five a game or even thirty a game. But he was playing great team basketball. Reggie Jackson played great for them, especially down the stretch. He won them Game Six. Mm-hmm. Um, Kawhi's obviously a killer. Marcus Morris hit some big shots. I mean, I hate him, but he did hit some big shots. And again, Tyloo coached. This was the best uh, series like series I've seen Tyloo as a coach. Totally agree. I I crap on Ty Lue all the time. I've always said that I think he's the most overrated coach. This series showed me that he actually can make adjustments. He outcoached Carlisle. He outcoached Rick Carlisle. I don't know if it was outcoached, but they both made big adjustments. They both tried to like kind of like do things to throw the other one off. And I would have assumed that Carlisle is the better coach and the better like game manager and the better uh, adjuster. But Ty Lue stuck with him the entire time. And Ty Lue kept, you know, a, adjustments against the adjustments, you know, playing chess against each other. And Ty Lue showed to me that he is a much better coach than I have been giving him credit for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just a great series, one for the ages. Um, Didn't go the way I personally wanted, but as a basketball fan, I'm sure a lot of people were very happy. The NBA is happy that an LA team is moving on. Um, But yeah, that kind of wraps up this podcast, talking about the first round. Um, Second round. It's going. It'll be great. We'll be here to break it down next week. We we are going to be just kind of talk, kind of talking playoff basketball for the next couple of podcasts, at least until we get towards maybe towards the end when you know we don't want to talk about just one series over and one over. One game, but maybe we will. I don't know. Uh, Guinness here for with us today. Yes, thank you, Guinness. Thank you for say thank you for saving Ireland and thank you for saving our podcast. We love you, Guinness. <laughs> we were uh, <laughs> we had a great time talking basketball with you guys, and we'll be back with you next week. I promise. All right. Cheers, man. Cheers. Cheers.